It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner, joined by Chad Brendel of BearcatJournal.com and Rick Roaring from MusketeerReport.com. Welcome to the Skinny Podcast. It's the weekly college basketball edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com digital sports columnist and editor with Rick Roaring of MusketeerReport.com and Chad Brendel of BearcatJournal.com. We're going to talk um, where Xavier is with with their layoff at the moment, the dreadful Kentucky Wildcats, the surging NKU Norse, and today, and really kind of culminating a two-game week for the UC Bearcats, which uh, went on the road to beat Temple and Tulane despite being undermanned. And uh, Chad, listen, hey, neither one of those teams are very good. They're the bottom towards the bottom of the league. But where UC is right now and coming off the lengthy time of not playing, I'll, I'll tip my cap to them for the two victories. Look, you're, you're playing without two scholarship players on a team that didn't have great depth to begin with. Uh, you, you've leaned on two walk-ons uh, over these past two games. You have seen an emergence, really, that, that I think a lot of us expected from David DeJulius uh, at the beginning of the season, that he is just now really starting to, uh, to figure it out and come into his own. And, and Keith Williams scores 35 points over these two games. In neither game was pretty. Neither game is going to be uh, on video display in the College Basketball Hall of Fame. However, you had to execute down the stretch, though, on both ends. Yeah, but at both of these games, there was a point in the middle of the second half where it looked like, all right, they're just going to run out of gas. You know, the, the, the layoff becomes too much. I, John mentioned something earlier today uh, or in the, in the postgame press conference, Skinny. I'm interested to get your take on. He said his brother Grant, uh, who... Uh, you could argue Grant might be the better coach in the Brandon family. Yeah, Grant's um, a good, good basketball coach. Grant's that's people think like we joke when we say that, but Grant Brandon's a hell of a basketball coach. But Grant texted John and said, "Usually in a situation like this, it's not the first game back that gets you because everybody's excited for that right. first that's game good back. Point. It's the second game back where reality sets in a little bit." Uh, and, and you look like crap and, and they looked like crap for a pretty good portion of the game today, but they hit that stretch in the middle of the second half. And for the second game in a row, they overcame it. They got a couple big threes, one from Micah Adams Woods, one from Mason Madsen, uh, that, that allowed them to cut, you know, a four point lead, to one or four point deficit to one. Um, you know, just those little key shots in the middle of a, a run like that, where you're hanging around. And you're leaving yourself still in position to win a game. And they managed to, to figure out a way to pull this thing out. I, look, if we're being honest, Tulane stinks. Temple stinks. Cincinnati had the best player, the best two players on the floor in each of those games, and David DeJulius and Keith Williams. Uh, and, and they were able to figure out a way, despite turning it over too much, despite not shooting well from the free throw line, uh, despite not having a, a really good field goal percentage, missing a lot of baskets at the rim in both games, they figured out a way that when the the, the horn hit zero, the clock hit zero, uh, that that they had more points. And uh, you know that's that's kind of the how the game is is measured, right? That's that's, that's how they determine wins and losses. That's one still. Of the, how you get one in the left hand column or one in the right hand column. Um, <laughs> I, I'll ask both you guys this though: that the turnover issues continue. Um, how does it how does it get fixed? Is it as simple as hey, you're trying to do too much? Go make a simple play. Is it um, guys finding roles? Is it I I, I, I can't put a finger on it because it, it's it, it's not like th- there's a lot of live ball ones. It's just a lot of ones where you're like, dude, guy standing right there, pass it to him. 
make the easy play because the easy play leads to another easy play, which leads to buckets. And um, is, is that fixable? I guess I'd say it is. Well, I think part of the issue they have with this roster, and we've talked about it a lot, is that the pieces don't fit all that well together and they really lack shooters. And when you can't shoot that well, it makes offense really difficult. And so I think that's what they're running into a lot. It's not that they have, uh, you know, like I don't think David DeJulius is a guy that has a huge turnover issue, but he probably commits a few more turnovers on this team because there's just nowhere to go with the ball sometimes. And you're trying to force the issue into a defense that's already sagging in and taking away your driving lanes and making everything really tight on that end of the floor. I, I just think we saw this with Xavier for two straight years when they didn't have any shooting offense was really hard and guys turned the ball over despite them having uh, experienced point guard and Quentin Gooden and a veteran and Paul Scruggs, who now, you know, is all of a sudden this great playmaker who doesn't turn the ball over much at all. So it's like, I've seen it firsthand so much now that I'm just really convinced that as much as it may be oversimplifying things, making shots cures so many ills on the offensive end turnovers too. Yeah. And I, I don't doubt that part of it, but I also look and go, just make an easy play. I, 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 I think, think that, you're trying to make a play for your team, but make an easy one because it's going to lead but, to the next easy one. But I think that builds on itself. So, you know, I mean, yeah. like, okay, it's really hard to score. We're going through a stretch. It's two and a half minutes. We haven't scored. I got to make a play. And then you I'll get the bucket. Yeah, I'll get the bucket too yeah. much. And and then you, you'd look exactly like what you're talking about, where you're just trying to do way too much. But that's what happens when you get, uh, you know, frustrated and it's not easy to score. Case in point, Rick, I think this goes right to exactly what you're saying. Cincinnati, two of nine in the first half from three, and they turn it over 12 times. Look at the second half, four of seven from three. They turn it over six times, three of those coming in the first two minutes of the second half. John Brandon substitutes in. Uh, five for five, two, the walk-ons. <laughs> two freshmen, a sophomore, and two walk-ons. They have one turnover in that segment, a segment that uh, that I, I know Skinny had a tear in his eye when Sam Martin turned it over, hustled back, and draws a charge. Um, they only turned it over two times after that the rest of the game, uh, and that's that's a huge difference for this team. Think, I mean, they're up by one at halftime with 12 – two or one or two at halftime. Yeah, two. Up two at halftime with 12 turnovers. Right, right. That's really hard to do. But, Skinny, I, I wanted to know your reaction. Sam Martin comes in. He pump fakes. On his first possession, he pump fakes a closeout on the wing, drives, drops a bounce pass to Tari Eason for a, a, a beautiful and one. Next possession, he, he turns it over, gets a little caught in the lane, but then hustles back and, and does what Skinny just – you might have hoisted that kid on your shoulders after the game for turning it over and then sprinting back and getting a charge. I, I may have taken a timeout just to celebrate the huddle. No, <laughs> and, and honestly, though, but, but, but I go back to, to, to that drive and draw and dish – that's kind of a simple play. It's something you work on in practice. A little pump fake, get a guy off his feet, drive, draw the defender, dump it off. I'm not going to try to go through somebody at five foot ten because I can't. He's going to stuff me. I thought that was an impressive play. Well, and they well, had scored a- for it. Like they were having trouble scoring too. Right. Nice yeah. Right. Like boost to their offense to get them going again. I thought. Well, they came out just absolutely flat and terrible to start that second half, and it looked like if they did, if he didn't make that move to kind of snap his team out of it, they might have got blown out. What did you think? Of the was, move? What did you think of the move? I loved it. Completely I mean, it, out of necessity, it, right? Had to do it. it. Look, the 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 biggest motivator in the world is the bench, right? No doubt. And you can't be a, even though even though you've only got eight scholarship guys, you you technically shouldn't be able to sub five for five. You've got two walk ons sitting over there. Guess what? You five aren't getting it done. These five are going to give it a try. 
Do, Come do sit you, your asses down and think about it. I, and I love the move. Trust me. I think it's great, and I'm glad it worked out because then that way the message is clearly sent. But does he do that if this team is on the NCAA tournament bubble? Yeah, I think he still does. Okay. I, I think he was just really frustrated at that point. Uh, yeah, based I don't, on the I don't way. think that was about walk-ons. That was just who happened to be on the bench at the time. Yeah, I think it was, right. you, you, you guys yeah. are coming out. I you don't fight care. In? Yeah. yeah. I'll pull someone out of the stands if I have to for this possession. Tim Morris or Tim Morrison with the team, right? Uh, Sean Dwyer, get in there. Somebody, <laughs> yeah, right, like, right. These, these five guys are coming out. I don't care who I have to put in to make that happen. And it was message sent, message delivered. You know, I mean, there was one point Early in that second half, Temple had outscored them uh, 25 to 12 to start the second half. And it ended up second half 33-32 Cincinnati. Yeah, huge turnaround. Well, it's a, it's a big turnaround. And I also think another thing that really helps send the message is when you go sit on the bench and you see Sam Martin in there and it looks like he belongs. You know, when you see those, right. those walk-ons who you're supposed to be beating up every day in practice and theoretically you do – go in and it looks like they belong against the other team. It's like, well, wait, what the hell am I doing? How, how can I not figure this out? Like I got to get it going here. I think that really helps motivate some guys when you see the walk-ons be successful ahead of you. Absolutely. And second game for Rob, look, Rob Banks is a guy, he's not a typical walk-on. Like Rob Banks had low major, mid major uh, uh, opportunities to play college basketball. But as John explained in the post-game press conference today, he had a relationship with Rob's high school coach. Rob wanted to give it a shot at the highest level when he walked on in Cincinnati. Um, is, he a, is he a guy that's going to play 20 minutes for you? No. But he's not a guy that's, that's completely uh, out of Overmatched, place when you put right. him out there. Be, yeah. And especially, as we have talked about a lot, this, ain't, this conference ain't good. <laughs> Tulane's, Tulane's talent level is, is, is not great. It's not that much higher than Rob Banks. Yeah, and that's what I was gonna. That, that's the other part to it, fellas. Um, and sometimes this is short term, right? You can get away with something like this for a game, maybe two. You're not getting away with it. Um, you know, th- these two guys are not going to be part of your rotation moving forward. But I, I think it, it does speak to the fact that honestly, the league just isn't very good. No, no, it's not very good. And and we've talked about this on this podcast. I, I I've talked about my concerns with Houston, and Houston goes in and and gets handled by ECU. ECU scores 82 points on Houston, beats them. Is it 82-73, I think? Yes, and that, yes, correct. Houston was never really, you know, a factor in that game. You To ECU, who had lost like five, four out of five in conference, you go and now that place is a nightmare to play at because there, there's that atmosphere, even, you know, with fans is no good. And you're stuck in Greenville, North Carolina. Like that's a nightmare place to travel to. But it just exposed what I've been talking about with Houston for a long time that I don't I mean that is not a top 10 team that they are getting fat but but you know what up what is a bad league I'll be honest with you when I keep seeing Oklahoma up there I don't know if they're a top 10 team I mean who is a top 10 team but Oklahoma has the talent I mean they can run and gun with anyone in the country on the offensive end I do when I I think Chad has a point here like Houston is consistent they're tough they're a very solid team but I think their metrics are getting a little overinflated by beating up on this conference and I think Overall, their seed line could end up. I mean, as long as they avoid any more landmines, and considering they just hit the second one with East Carolina, they lost at Tulsa earlier in the year. I can't imagine they're going to lose again in the regular season. Looking at what they have left, I don't um, know, man. They still got to go to Memphis. They still got to go to Wichita, and they got to go to UC. I mean, yeah, it's, yeah. it's it's possible, but they're 
kind of heads and shoulders above pretty much everyone else in this conference right now, as far as I can tell. And I just think it could end up leading to one of the most overinflated NCAA tournament teams we've seen in a while if they're a two or maybe even a three seed. Well, well here's like the thing. You're, for, you're, two, you're 215 upset right there. Yeah, yeah here's exactly. the thing for me, Rick. When we've looked at this conference in the past and talked about you know how good or not good it is, at least there have been – two or three teams at the top of the league that you look at and say, okay, those guys are the class. Of well, and, and UC has been one of them and, and they're yeah. not this year. But when you look at it now, I, I don't like anybody other than Houston and I don't like Houston that much. Well, that's, that's the thing. This Houston team, while the metrics look great and I understand why people talk about them the way they do. I don't know that this Houston team is as good as some of those top two and three AAC teams we've seen in a few years past when it's right. like, you know, SMU, Houston, and UC at the top together. I've seen some of those years, the, the quality of play across the league has been much better than it is this year. To, to me, this year is hard to watch, and that's coming from someone who's watching the Horizon League every weekend. So, <laughs> I mean, I, I think I have a pretty good feel for what mid-major basketball looks like. And, you know, they have a little bit bigger players, a little more athleticism, but it's some bad basketball right now. You guys are discounting the fact of that big bounce back win over Lady of Lakes on Saturday. Skinny, I do want your thoughts on Our Lady of the Lake, who lost 112 to 46 to Houston. What do you think? This about is this, this, this is an absolute. This is a true story. So yesterday, I got my second shot, and and it kind of it didn't hit me bad, but it just kind of drained me uh, for the COVID. And I'm just kind of laying around watching basketball, flipping around, and, and you know how sometimes you kind of do that late afternoon fade if there's not a game on that you really like, or or you know your team's playing. And I kind of did it, and I saw a crawl at the bottom, and I saw that score go by. And I went, wait a minute, is that women's? Oh, it has to be women's. And then about 15 minutes later, see, go by, you know, I got to look this up now. They actually played I, something called Lady of Lakes, and they did. What are we I, doing? I, I, I heard something yesterday. Our Lady of the Lake had not played a game since, like, December 23rd. <laughs> they are a – Our Lady of Division the Lake. Division three. No, it's NAIA. Okay, um, so they're getting a little bit of money. Yeah, Our Lady of the Lake, known locally as The Lake, is a Catholic university in San Antonio, Texas, founded in 1895 by the Sisters of Divine Providence, a religious institute originating in Lorraine, France, during the 18th century. So there you go. Now you know. Well, UC's got one. Knowing's half the battle. After UC comes back, Chad, I think they got a game, then a Sunday game, and then a gap to the following Sunday. Maybe they can get the Lady of Lakes in there somewhere in that in the middle of the week. It's I mean, the best get-right game you can find. No question. Kentucky needs Lady of the Lakes. Well, as somebody, as somebody, as somebody said on my my board, skinny. Listen, strange women lying in ponds distributing swords is no basis for a system of government. Supreme executive power derives from a mandate from the masses, not from some farcical anti uh, aquatic ceremony. Name that movie. I don't. I, I don't have it. Was that last one supposed to be antiquated? Oh, it's a Monty Python. Okay, yeah. uh, aquatic. No, aquatic. aquatic. Lady of the Lake. Okay. 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 Lady of the Lake. That's great stuff. Great Monty stuff. Python. You know, you, you you can't determine who's the supreme ruler by who this lady in the lake gives a sword to. You know, it's certainly not them after getting boat raced by sixty six. I can guarantee uh, that for sure. But be, before we move on from UC, how about that the 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 final play by David DeJoyce? Because yeah, that's a loss. Like missed shot, rebound. All and he you just have rips to it. do and just rips and, it. Yeah. Rips it and 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 runs away and and runs away to the point that the guy just tore his jersey off. He had the uh, the Under Armour break tearaway jersey uh, <laughs> on today, and uh, and he goes to the line and and finishes off from the free throw line. That is a massive, massive 
play from David DeJulius to, to just go in and snatch that and say, no, no, not tonight. We got this. And, and, and that kind of goes back to your, your point, Rick, of, of him not just scoring and, and dishing all those things, but then making a big, tough play at the end of the game to seal it. Well, yeah, I think for, you know, for the last three or four games, he's really been playing a pretty complete floor game. He plays like a confident player. You know, those 50-50 balls, good players go and grab them. Yes, they do. It's, yes. it's not the, that, it's, was a, that was a 75-25 ball because the dude from fair, Tulane yeah. had it. Yeah. He had it. I mean, but the, but those types of plays, those are made by yeah. good players, guys who are confident, guys who expect to go in and win it, you know, and and that's who David Julius looks like right now, like one of the better players in this conference. And that's what UC has been waiting for, because quite frankly, they need that out of him. Yeah, uh, let's move to uh, Xavier, which, uh, again, is, is under the covid circumstance expected to play or supposed to play or scheduled to play DePaul on Thursday afternoon. Um, you and I talked about this in the podcast midweek about Xavier. And I'm not so sure if I'm a Xavier fan, I'm crying over losing the return game to Seton Hall, the two games with Nova. I know it doesn't help you to, to get some, some, some points from a seed perspective, but theoretically, I don't think they do it, but theoretically the, the schedule sets up to where they could, they could run the table. I don't think they do mind you. I think that's just too difficult to add, but I mean, go six and one ish down the stretch. You're 17 and three. That's got to count for something. I don't care what the metrics say. Yeah, I mean, they're piling up a lot of wins. It's going to be interesting to see how many games they're actually able to fit in down the stretch because one of the issues they have right now with all this COVID stuff going on is most of the team, and especially the important guys on the team, haven't gotten it yet. They haven't been in protocol yet. They're, it's, you're still waiting. It's been a real slow trickle despite XU having all these games canceled in terms of the guys that are, are getting coronavirus so or, or getting into even contact tracing protocol. It's just a, one, two people at a time. And, and, you know, from a health standpoint, that's good. But when it almost feels inevitable anyway that they're going to get it and you, from a ba- playing basketball game standpoint – it doesn't work out as well. You know, I mean, it just, it's who knows what happens down the stretch, but I guess we talked about it on our weekly podcast. And I want to pose that question to Chad in terms of Xavier obviously misses the games against Villanova. It they're going to have a limited Big East slate overall and not play the, the double round Robin. Chad, do you think it's a, a bad thing because Xavier isn't going to have a chance at those resume opportunities, or do you think this is kind of helping Xavier in the fact that it might not be exposing them and it's giving them a chance to build up this, this high win total without maybe being all that great. Well, I think here's the difference for Xavier is this isn't a conference like the American where you only get three or four, you know, three opportunities for games like that. You know, yeah, yeah. You're not going to get, you know, the complete top top shelf uh, game Villanova type game potentially, but you're still playing top 50, top 40, top 50 teams. So I, I don't think, you know, I, I think you'd like if you're Xavier, if you're, if you're Travis Steele, you'd like to kind of see where you stack up maybe against those teams. But as far as the resume, I don't think it hurts a little uh, terribly. I mean, I, <clears throat> I don't necessarily – <clears throat> agree with with snow that xavier's recipe is or, or resume is uh, we're getting close to me having to go downstairs and cook so recipe is just on my mind um <laughs> where, where xavier's resume is a win over oklahoma and nothing else i mean yeah, yeah it's, it's not a great resume but there's still a little bit of meat on those bones and enough in a year like this where i don't think it's that big of a deal and that's um, where that and that's where the selection committee I think is going to be in a really tough spot because you can't assume they were going to lose to Villanova right. twice in that Seton Hall. Right. 
You can think it. You can believe it. I, I can make a case for it. But I can also make a case for them beating Seton Hall on the return trip and maybe it worse splitting with Villanova. So I, and I, Xavier's probably not going to be alone in this regard when it comes to looking at that. So I, I'm really I'm perplexed at how the committee's going to look at some of these things where you do you really penalize them or you just go, hey, your resume is your resume. Your one big win is over over Oklahoma. That's it. We can't help you. That that's it sucks, but that's just the way it is. That's why you're an eight seed. Yeah, I think here's where. Snow is underestimating a little bit that, I mean, this isn't Xavier in the MCC or the A-10 days where it's like they're not going to get the benefit of the doubt. I think they've established themselves enough, and the Big East certainly has in terms of getting teams into the tournament, that if a Big East team has a resume that only has three losses on it, let's say, I I imagine that's going to be looked on pretty favorably, even if the win total isn't what you want it to be and it doesn't have all the marquee wins that you would normally want. I think the metrics will be good enough combined with that you only have three losses that Xavier will be okay in that situation. If that's how it plays out. And right or wrong, Oklahoma has ascended to being a top 10 ranked team. Now that doesn't mean they're a top 10 metric team, but it does mean that's where they're at. And so you can't discount that win. Yeah. That's turned out to be a really nice win. I mean, even despite the fact that it was a home, it's still right now a quad one win. It was a boat. I mean, they killed them. Right. That wasn't down to the wire. They whipped them. They made 19 threes. Yeah, no, I, I think it's going to be an interesting one to find out because I, I just I'd love to see Xavier run the table and sit there with the, just the two losses or maybe lose one game with three losses. There'd be a great litmus test for this year because there's they're not the only team that's going to find itself in that kind of a boat or that kind of a scenario. Rick, Rick uh, worst case, what what would missing those games cost Xavier AC line? I mean, I, we don't know because we have no idea how this is going to play out, but it's not their fault. This is what it, like part of this that drives me nuts. It's not a team's fault that, that they're having COVID issues. It's just playing through like, this is what you signed up for. That's right. When everybody agreed to play through a pandemic, there's no punishment necessary for that. Now, maybe you don't get a chance. You know, if you have one of those wins on your resume, it, it bumps you up another seed line, but ultimately your resume is what it is at this point. And this whole, like, teams should be penalized for, for missing games or teams should be penalized for this and that. I, I, I don't buy it because I, I just don't think it's, I think it's complete crap to potentially penalize a team for signing up for this and, and trying to go through with this as teams are trying to go through with it right now. Seton Hall smacked Xavier at the Cintas Center. Now I'm not saying that's indicative of how that matchup would go again. And I can argue uh, that's right. a little off. Right. But, but, um, I think if you if you talk about the two Villanova games and a game at Seton Hall, uh, even fairly optimistic Xavier fans would reasonably say one and two, right, is maybe likely in that pretty scenario. good. Yeah. So like, if Xavier's one and two in those games right now, and they played those, do you feel better about the resume at that point? They Not have four really. losses and and maybe you know one more uh, quad one win. I, I don't know. I mean, it, it. I guess it helps somewhat, but also you all of a sudden have more losses and more lo- a, a worse record in quad one games. You know, so I, I'm I'm kind of fifty fifty on that. I don't know that there's a clear answer just because we don't know how the tournament selection committee is going to handle all of this, and that's where I get you know whether it's snow or other people going back at him on the message board right now, Musketeer Report. I I don't know. I think people are just being too absolute one way or the other. We just right. don't know. Right. Right. 
Um, I, I guess the question of, of, of being absolute, are we, are we absolute about this game being played Thursday at this stage? Never. Or, uh, <laughs> definitely not absolute, but I will say uh, everyone I've talked to this weekend since I got back um, late, I'm basically today I talked to a few people on Sunday right. here, and it sounds like everything's a go. From, from what I said right now, but I mean, that's, you know, four days away and they're both teams will be testing. And I don't know what all of DePaul's protocols protocols are, but I'm assuming the people I talked to have, have, you know, cleared that as well. So I think as of right now, they will be able to play, but I think Xavier only have like one actual day of practice on Wednesday before that Thursday game. Yeah, that's 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 a big ask still, even though it is the Paul for sure. Um, let's move to Kentucky, where I don't know what else is, is left to be said because it feels like it's the same old, same old for them. Um, there are some reports that Terrence Clark may be back now this week, and, and that'll be an interesting dynamic to see. But in, in watching this team, does it feel like they've kind of quit and they're just playing for themselves? Or is it just was is what it is? It's just not a very good team and that and we just move on to next year. I don't see a team that quit. I just don't think they're good. I mean, it, it, maybe you could make that argument when they got after Tennessee kind of blew past them because for the first 25, 30 minutes, they looked outstanding. Right. And then Tennessee punked them. Yeah. Now, maybe final five minutes, you could make a case that, that they just threw up their hands. And, and I was like, here we go hey, again. Yeah. That's, I, and that's the thing more than quitting. I think it's just frustration because they, this team has been in position to win games with 10 minutes left a lot. And they haven't won many of them. No, five, five wins and, and only a couple of them down the stretch wins the, the Vandy game early in the Mississippi state game in, in overtime. Um, for but sure. doesn't that tell you enough? It, no, it does. It absolutely. You're does. winning close games against Vandy and Mississippi state. No question. You're not no good. Question. You're well, not good. And I think their biggest issue at this point in most of the season but there were other big big issues too earlier in the year they've settled some of those boston started to play better keon brooks has given them another option on offense the big glaring issue now is they don't have a good point guard at at this level and right that's down the stretch that's costing them that's always been the staple of a good cal team right point guard play and his point guard play right now is bad do, do you bad, think bad. Do you think this season for Cal and maybe Coach K even changes their mind on the one and done stuff that that maybe you fell too much in love with it? Or is this just a complete one off for everybody and and don't read too much into it? But do I think they're going to stop recruiting the best players in the country? No. Well, well, but I don't think they are the best. But Brandy, Boston's not a good player. I mean, that's he got he had great stars and he was recruit rated highly. That doesn't mean he's a good player. I mean, he's shown some flashes of being a pretty good player over the past two, three weeks. He's just inconsistent, which is what you deal with. And I, I, I don't think this was a great uh, top 10 anyway in this class. No, I agree. I, and I agree with that. I, I would have, you know, kind of brushed this off if you had asked this a week ago, Skinny. But I am interested to get your guys' take on what Calipari said this week. Um, I don't know. I guess this was during his coach's show or if it was with uh, – I think it was coach's show during a media session, but he says, said the game has changed. Shooting is at a premium mentioned that he's going to be recruiting more shooters in the future. Like it, do you believe he just figured this out? Is that actually possible? I I do because I think he's, he has had his pulse on so many of the, of the NBA talent level guys that he's gotten. And this was a class that just didn't have that. And, and the one guy that he put all his eggs in the basket, he didn't get Cade Cunningham. 
Um, and, and I think it, I think the game has changed in that regard. Of, of no kidding, a decade yeah. ago. Well, yeah, correct. But I think he was able to win with just so much length and size well, and NBA talent that you could get away with maybe not having a shooter or two because I mean, you weren't scoring going, on them. But going back to his John Wall, DeMarcus Cousins team, the reason that team didn't go is because they didn't didn't go to the Final Four is because they didn't have even right. one shooter that could bail them out against that two three zone of West Virginia, like. That it's stunning to me that he would say something like this when everyone has been banging their head against the wall the entire time he's been at UK to just keep a shooter or two on the roster. I think he truly believes, believed, and we'll see if this changes, that what he needed was one. Murray, Hero. um, Monk. Monk. uh, uh, Booker. Booker, that's who I was trying to bring to my brain. Um, that he's needed one. If he can get one, he thinks he's okay. You need way more than one now. You need three, four. Yeah. And, mean, and again, relying on freshmen to shoot consistently, even though a lot of the guys you're listing off did shoot a, a pretty high percentage from three-point range, even as a freshman. But they're great shooters. But they're, even, but they're going to be inconsistent, too. There's going yeah. to be games where they go through something. You need an experienced guy or two on your bench that can make a shot. I mean, why? If you're UK, that's such an easy thing to do, I would think. But he I ran got, him off. And that's, he that's ran the off thing. Johnny Juzang. He ran off Jamar Baker. I, I understand everybody wants to play right away, especially if you're going to a one and done factory and you're going to be concerned about getting recruited over. But there are enough guys that can shoot at a high level at this point that they don't have, you don't have to find a four star guy. You can just have a three-star that's happy to be at UK playing well, 10 minutes my, a game. And that's I think that's my point of, of some programs have seemed to figure that out, and they're not worried about what the number says or if you've got – I mean, the, what were the top three recruiting classes last year? Kentucky, Duke, and Carolina? Uh, I think so. Let me pull it up. I'm, I think that's right. And how, how are they doing? Yeah. I mean, the, the, but there's a lot to be said for this year being an outlier because I'll give you some get, of we that. talked sure. about summer. We talked about the importance of the summer and getting these kids on campus, which is and indoctrinated into the program. Yeah. Um, they didn't get any of that. So that's why you're seeing, but yes, Kentucky one, Carolina two, Duke three. Okay. Yeah, I well, had Duke Carolina flip flop, but yeah, uh, <coughs> Tennessee five. Look at the kids from Tennessee, <laughs> but, but they look mixing, pretty good. Yeah. But mixing with some older guys though, too. And to me, that's the biggest key. I mean, we found that seems to be Villanova's done right. that really well over the last right. six okay. years. So, so then is the era of this over a little bit of, of, of just looking at the numbers? and going, No, I don't think it's over, but I do think some of them might be might want to keep a little insurance, you know, might be. The problem is guys are going to continue to transfer at such a high rate because it sure. seems like we're moving towards a college basketball world in which you don't even have to sit out a year right, when you right. transfer that first time. So I don't know that it's going to be easy for them to keep these rosters intact and keep a veteran guy on the, on the bench who isn't playing as much. And maybe he could transfer, you know, elsewhere and start and play 30 minutes as a shooter somewhere else. So it, it may be easier said than done uh, because of the, the climate of the transfer portal and everything else. But I do think they will make a more concerted effort and maybe not try to rely on the one and dones as much, especially when you're talking about some of the, uh, the guys who aren't just Calipari and, and K. Yeah, right. No, right. And again, maybe this was just a class that just didn't have enough high level guys. And it, it, it came to a roost that, 
despite the fact of a kid like Brandon Boston being second in the class, et cetera, that there was a huge drop off from the Cade Cunningham of the world. And, um, you know, somebody has to be rated second, third, fourth, and fifth. And maybe in, in this year, they're just not even close well, to NBA, NBA ready where we've had this influx. It seems like of 10, 12, 15 guys who you go, yeah, damn, they're ready. They can go now. They're good. Well, here's the problem, Skinny. The top four players went Oklahoma State, professional, USC, and professional. Yeah, um, yeah Mobley went to USC. That's right. And, and Jalen Green was uh, – Jalen Green is unbelievable. Like, that dude is going to have a long NBA well, career. Well, and, and, and how much more might we see of those G League guys, right? Well, I mean, it's coming that they're going to they're gonna let them go straight to the well, pros and that, and, eventually. And that, right, and that goes back to the point of, all right, time to time to restructure how you're doing it now. Because, hey, I don't want to look up in three or four years and suddenly Kentucky's program is is has nobody on it, basically. I mean, suddenly it's just you're, you're so dried up because you've been continuing to do this that um, there's a long hole to try to dig out of. You're not wrong because <laughs> you're going to end up having to take a class or two of freshmen once that to develop, happens. To develop. Are, yeah, that are gonna that are gonna be the guys that are gonna be there in three and four years. So, but I mean, I don't know. It's like I've talked. I, like Brandon Boston is a is a prospect. He's a he's raw. He's long term. He was never Jalen Green or Cade Cunningham. And you look like a, a guy like Jalen Suggs. You're telling me this Kentucky Kentucky would be phenomenal if they were if they put a full court press and landed Jalen Suggs. Yes a six, five combo guard that they would solve almost all of their problems. But Jalen Suggs is at Gonzaga. Greg Brown is at Texas. Scotty Barnes is at Florida state. Zaire Williams is at Stanford. If you look in the top 10, Kentucky got Brandon Boston and Terrence Clark. Clark. Duke didn't have anybody in the top 10. Carolina didn't have anybody in the top 10. They, they cleaned up in that, you know, 15 to 20 range. But this, what we're seeing right now is the result of it's starting to spread out. Guys are starting to go other places than just Duke and Kentucky. And Kentucky and Duke are are still taking quote unquote one and done guys, but they're number five, they're number eight, they're number 13, they're number 23. So, so I go back to should that signal a complete philosophical change of the way you do it? I'm not talking about not recruiting great guys. Don't get me wrong there, but just of, I'm, I'm not, you know, and he's always been, I'm about getting these kids ready for the NBA. It's maybe it's time to change that fly. And, and if he's, not, I don't think maybe, he's going to change it. So you got to change the coach. Ooh. Oh, spicy. there was the, there was the hot That's take what of the, the day. Kentucky fans <laughs> waiting to hear, but, but he's, he said, he's not going to, he's not going to change who he is. I like, do agree. He's not going to change his philosophy in terms of the, he's trying to do the best thing for the players in his opinion and get them to the NBA, whether you buy into that or not, he's not going to stop saying that and make that his no, philosophy understood. Now, you know, I mean, it was interesting to me that this week he decided to say publicly that he is going to place a premium on shooters and recruit more of them going forward. I can't believe he would say that now and, and act like that wasn't a thing he was already doing. And maybe it's right. total service, but it's still just a bizarre thing to say at this point. So maybe he is going to change his approach somewhat, but I agree with Chad that the overall philosophy is not going to change. And I do think it is fair. I don't think it should. If Kentucky fans want to question whether that's what they want running their team. I, get, I would get if people do not like that. I, I think fair. Kentucky fans are more than willing to give him a pass for, for, for all the things he's done in the last decade, but you, you better not follow this up with another miserable year like this one 
or the fan base. I mean, they're ready to turn now, but I even think that some are saying, all right, you know what? This has just been such a wacky year in general in life that let's just put it behind us and move on and he'll get it right. Cause he's always gotten it right. Well, all I know is this next year, buddy, you better get it right. I mean, you're looking at, they might get number two, Jaden Hardy, but the, the, the consensus I think is that Jaden Hardy goes pro. They might, they've got a decent chance at Hunter sales, but he might, Gonzaga might beat them for that, for, for him, for Hunter sales. So if not, then you get Damian Collins, who's a power forward. Lord knows they don't need any more power forwards. <laughs> Bryce Hopkins, who's a power forward. And Nolan Hickman, who's a point guard, but you're getting the number 31 point guard. I haven't seen Nolan Hickman. I, I can't tell you how good Nolan Hickman is. But I know if he plays like the number 31 point guard, Kentucky fans are going to want to run him out of town before <laughs> December next year. And they don't have anybody else in the top 50 committed. Two power forwards and a point guard, and none of them in the top 10. Oh, God love you, transfer portal. <laughs> that's the new that's the new future for Kentucky. Olivier Saar. Yeah, correct. They, they got they got Oscar, <laughs> what's his face? Shubway. Um, maybe, maybe he's a difference. Maker. He's a monster. He's a he's a that rebounder. is a monster of a human being. Yeah, well, I I don't think he's a difference maker though. Uh, if you if rebounding is a problem, he's yeah, a difference yeah, maker. Not, not not as a scoring threat. And, yeah. <laughs> well, uh, uh, let's move. Uh, well, I, I was going to maybe this is a good way to transition into NKU. Uh, yep. Last week during Darren Horn's coach's show with us, he had a good line where I think he said, I, I believe it's seven active Hall of Fame coaches in college basketball right now. I could be off on that number. Maybe it's eight. I, I believe it's seven. Um, he said and only one of them are set to go to the tournament right now. Isn't, if, isn't that something? You know, in terms of like where things stand. So, yeah, it's that's kind of puts it in perspective to how. Yeah, I mean, this is you know, this, you know will what be, that, this will be the first year potentially since 1976 that neither Duke nor Kentucky will be in. Hall of Fame coaches in college basketball, by and large, are massive control freaks. You know what they haven't had throughout the pandemic? Oh, control. No question. It's everything's out of their control. Right. I don't think it's a surprise. I don't. All right, uh, let's move to NKU, Rick. Where um, a few not not too long ago, Norse were sitting at uh, five and eight, um, kind of you know just uh, slogging along with a bunch of young kids, and voila, three straight weekends of sweeps. Robert Morris, UIC, Milwaukee, um, two of those on the road at Robert Morris at Milwaukee. We've even talked about how hard it is to sweep um, any team in this league. Although it's weird for NKU, their last four weekends have all been sweeps. They got swept by IUPUI, swept Robert Morris, swept UIC, swept Milwaukee. What started to click for this team? Is it just the young guys stepping forward, guys getting into the roles and getting comfortable, the part of the schedule that maybe helped? What, what do we got? Yeah, and let me qualify, too, when you're talking about where they were at when they were 5-8 and eight and 3-5 and five in the Horizon League. They were coming off back-to-back -back home losses to IUPUI, who has been the worst team in this conference for the last few years. And like at that point, it felt like, Oh, uh -oh. no. How yeah. bad is this thing going to get for this NKU team? And they, they are young, but at the same time, that, that was going to be rough to sit through the rest of the season if they couldn't beat anyone in the Horizon League going forward, you know? And then I don't know 
what got into them or why it happened. Um, I do credit the coaching staff for the way that they have continued to mix and match. We talk about playing walk-ons with UC. That's been a huge theme to what NKU's done, playing the local seven-footer from Covcath, Noah Hoopman. He's made a big difference on the back of their defense and even starting to help rebound a little bit despite him needing to add a lot of strength. And then Jake Evans, a point guard from Louisville, where they just really, you know, they brought in Carlos Hines from Northern Arizona and he had sat out a year just quit the team at Northern Arizona and didn't play for a season. And before he came to NKU and he had a slow start due to an injury and some academic concerns. And so now that like they kind of found out, they just didn't have a backup point guard as the season went. It, Jake Evans has really shored things up for them. So that's been a big part of it. But I, I think the biggest thing to your, to your original question, skinny is just that they're getting contributions from a lot of different places now on every night it's not necessarily the same guys every night but it doesn't have to be just Trayvon Faulkner and Marquez Warwick doing everything forcing the issue with two three defenders stacked up against them watching their every move now if that happens you know they whip a pass to the opposite wing and they're knocking down threes this weekend Adam Alita Bryson Langdon both shot the ball really well or you know uh, Trey Robinson freshman wing six seven athletic made big contributions in the second night up at Milwaukee on Saturday. So uh, they're, they're getting it done in different ways. And that's because different guys are contributing, contributing on different nights. I will say confidence is just a hell of a thing. I, I don't it's unbelievable. There's, there's, no, there's, there's no tangible for it. Um, they're just, it's, it's just a thing. There's times you look up and you've had a season where you've lost six or seven games by a possession. And the next year you win those six or seven games by a possession for whatever reason. And I, I wish I could put my finger on those things, but confidence is a heck of a thing. Cause NKU's got a whole boatload of it at the moment. I mean, this is a team that was shooting 28% from three point range going into this weekend. One of the worst in the entire country outside the top 300. And they still are even after this weekend, but on Friday night, they hit 18 threes. You know, I mean, like there's just no answer for, like you said, the confidence and and it's it's game plan type stuff. You know, against UIC, they barely shot any threes because UIC has a perimeter oriented defense where they try to take the three away. So NKU drove them and got fouled a lot. Milwaukee has a, it's not a pack line, but it's kind of similar in the sense that it's real sagging and and they're in the gaps all the time. So they drove and they they fired passes to the weak side and they got wide open threes and they knocked them down. They just they've been really good at executing against the game plan and their attention to detail has been really, really good. Uh, two more series to end the regular season at Green Bay, which is six and 14 overall and six and 10 in the league. And then Wright State comes to, to uh, Highland Heights to conclude the season, a chance to maybe finish out with a four game sweep, maybe, you know, three and one ish. Um, that would put NKU at a spot where they would probably be a three seed for the conference tournament. I guess if we have one, I know they sent the pairings out or at least the brackets out uh, a week ago or so. We touched on this a little bit on the weekly podcast. Um, are we still leaning towards the direction of they're going to be a, a, a tournament in the horizon league? Cause I mean, it, listen, it's a one and one and done league and all of a sudden NKU to the point where you go, I can see him winning it. Yeah. I mean, and it seems we, as we get closer and closer, they seem really invested. The horizon league has actually gone to their own proprietary seating format this year. So it's not going off conference standings. NKU was above Milwaukee in the standings going into this weekend, but according to the Horizon League's seedings, Milwaukee was actually the four seed, not NKU, prior to this weekend. So those two wins at Milwaukee, would you would assume, definitely had them jump Milwaukee. But they're basing it off of uh, road versus home wins, strength of schedule, in addition to your winning percentage. So it's, it's a formula that they haven't really made clear to everybody, and they're just doing what the uh, football playoff 
committee does where they're doing a release every Monday after the weekend of games, they send out the release and here's where you're seated. And you just know going into the next weekend. Okay. Here's what we got to do. It's, it's, um, convoluted and confusing but at the same time it has added an element of intrigue to these final weeks of the season and, and so are they doing i i don't have the brackets in front of me i apologize um are, they're doing home sites for the first two rounds and then going to a site for semis and finals is that right that's right it'll be back at the uh iupui the the convention yeah. center in indianapolis your favorite place yeah i mean just an absolute dump of a gym but it, it uh it is nice and centrally located in a short trip for us so hopefully nku will make the semifinals. we'll get to watch them there but the big thing is the top four seeds in the horizon league get the bye into the quarterfinals right then you host one home game in the quarterfinals and then you get and, to the semis right and then you're in the semis if you win that so the big thing is getting a top four seed this year and in nku i would say rick if they could go Two and two, and certainly three and one would solidify that. Yeah, I I would think two and two would be enough to to get it done. Like I said, Milwaukee was right there with them. Um, Oakland kind of in that area, and yeah, it would five hundred N- in the league. They're eight and eight in the league. Yeah, it would seem NKU has a leg up on them as well, especially after a, another pair of road wins. So I think you know the Green Bay series, you get two more road wins there, both right. winnable games. You feel really good about your situation and getting a top four seed. All right, Chad Brendel, any final thoughts for this week? Can we? I saw an analogy yesterday, and I'll, I'm going to go NBA here for a second. And I thought it was it was cheesy, but it was kind of poignant after Steph Curry last night reminded us that he was Steph Curry, <laughs> 62 points, and it's Steph doing his like usual uh, when he's when he's hot like that, he just pulls up from like 50 feet for a a, a regular and, jumper with and an effortless regular jumper. Yeah, the the guy compared it to sunsets. Sunsets are beautiful, but what's magical is that no matter how many times people see them, sunsets never seem to lose that ability to stun. Steph Curry's a sunset. Sometimes you can look past him, but then suddenly he scores 62 points doing the things he's done for years, and it's still as stunning as the first time. And the first time being when he was at Davidson, leading them to the Elite Eight, and everybody's going, this kid weighs 108 who's, who's pounds. This, who, yeah, who's this guy doing these things? Del, that's Del Curry's kid? Why is he so small? He's a cute little fella. Isn't this a fun little story? He'll never make it in the NBA with that little body of his. I don't care how good he's shooting it. And, and here's the, the other thing somebody said. You know, like, NBA guys are well aware that Steph Curry, with, with the way that he, like, as cocky as he is, I don't know if you saw the little shoulder shimmy after he hit that 50-foot pull-up last night. I, Steph Curry has to be able to fight. Because nobody steps to him to check him when he does that stuff. You know what, though? He's a smart enough guy that he and Draymond have got to be boys. Oh, of he's course. A, he's a smart enough guy to have an enforcer, right? But I don't – there's a reason people don't step to him. Broering seems to be that kind of guy to me, where he runs his mouth, but he had his big friend. Who's your big friend, Broering? Oh, that was me for sure. <laughs> I figured uh, that part. Yeah. It was I, a guy from Beachwood was mine. I, I had uh, I did have a group of guys on the varsity football team when I was a freshman that enjoyed me like going into to clubs with them and, and running my mouth and them like just being behind me to kind of back it up. And uh, that, that worked out well early on. But then, I mean, after a certain point, I'm not like a tiny guy, so it's not really a, Gotta stick up a for yourself, huge concern. Right? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I wasn't 140 up. pounds in college, so I wasn't too worried about that. <laughs> that's a good call. That's I wasn't 140 pounds in college either. I was more like 125. Yeah, that's uh, like, so. And, that was a long time ago. And I, I was most definitely because I, I played with dudes that were really good. And, you know, we'd, we'd be running open gym somewhere or running Silver Lake. And 
we'd be kicking people's butt and I'd be running my mouth and people would be like, you haven't scored. <laughs> you haven't done anything. And I'm like, yeah, but you're losing 10 to two. Shut the bleep yeah, up. Yeah. You're the guy. You're the scoreboard kind of guy, right? Scoreboard. Guy. <laughs> oh, of course. Scoreboard. Of course. I didn't have anything to do with it, but I was there. I was I, on I, team. I, I will say, and I'm not going to say what team it was, but a team that uh, that we played the other night, not at my level, but at the varsity level, we were getting boat raced and came back and won. And a kid on the other team, late third quarter, said to one of our kids after he, he hammered him, and the kid must have said something. He just and you could see it plain as day. He pointed the scoreboard and said scoreboard. I'm like, oh boy, son, you probably shouldn't have said that. It always, <laughs> always comes back to bite you. Do it at yeah. the end. Do do it when the clock says zero zero zero. That that at that point, you can say that. Don't say it during the game. But um, man, watching watching Steph when he gets on one of those runs is just basketball porn. Yeah, he's 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 fun. He's always been fun to watch. How about There's you? Nothing you can do. Uh, I've got the uh, Chiefs minus three, Chiefs minus six and a half. Mahomes <laughs> over thirty nine and a half pass attempts. Wow. Red Gatorade four, tails. I've got my, on the, four, I've got my tail, tail. Yeah, tails never fails. I went. So, heads so, I, I went heads. Yeah. But Rick, how how much how much did you research that Gatorade choice? Um, so I know it was yellow last year. Uh, it was orange. So, no, it was like lemon lime. Okay, I heard it was orange. Oh, that's not the but picture the, I saw of Andy Reid getting okay, lemon but, lime. Maybe but, that was from but, a different game. But you're not you're not inclined to go with a repeat. Well, I think it. I think it's a good chance that red or orange are could be on either sideline given the team's colors. So I think that's an option. Um, I think water is the more frequently used thing nowadays, but in the, in the Super Bowl, I think they make it a point to use Gatorade because of this bet. I could be yeah, wrong I, on I, that, I, but I think that you always use Gatorade in the Super Bowl. Well, I'll, I'll leave you with this one, fellas. I, I don't know if you saw it, but um, um, some guy actually in Tampa um, took a stopwatch down as they were practicing the anthem. To, yep. to, to, uh, they do that every year. He, he got it at two minutes and 11 seconds, Rick. I think I had the over, right? I think or no, had I had the over. under. I think I, I went over. I think I went over. Yeah, I think, I think I you said under because you said I think they'll get a little nervous. nervous yeah, things up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 That right. was a bad, bad logic there. I was just reaching for a podcast. I'm not gonna no, lie. That's a good point. I'm, yeah. I'm good with that. <laughs> All right, boys, enjoy your Super Bowl Sunday. We'll be back next week to talk some more college basketball. We're I feel like we're getting closer to at least having a week where everybody plays a couple of games or a game at least. Don't jinx it. Come yeah, on. Why man. would you say that? Yeah, I'll zip it. Zip it. I just zipped it. All right, for, for Rick Broing of Musketeer Report, Chad Brendel, BearcatJournal.com. I'm Richard Skinner. Thanks for being with us. It's been the Skinny Podcast, the weekly college basketball.